And fuckers, welcome into show notes. Chilling here with ninety nine in the studio. Got a lot of good stuff coming up for you. We got a, we have a, we have an episode this weekend that is going to be a little bit of a departure. It's a little bit long, but I hope it's, I hope it's good. I don't think it's scandalous in any way necessarily, but it's going out a little bit on a limb to explore some territory that is a little uncomfortable for people. And uh, so I hope you tune in. I hope you listen, and I hope more than anything that you provide some feedback. To us because that's really why we're doing it is to kind of spark a conversation and get some dialogue going so now first of all hey 99 how you doing i'm good how are you i'm good you seem you seem you today no it's called masking cool <laughs> i love it yeah as fake as you make it well we all have a face mm-hmm. that we hide away forever we show ourselves when everyone's gone is this a riddle hmm you saying we're lizard people? These are Billy Joel lyrics. Oh. Um, yeah. I don't like have his musical canon memorized. That Sorry. sounds like a you problem. Just saying. Okay. Okay. You asked me why I remembered something before. Perhaps oh my God, because you rem- such I have a deep reference. Brain space. It's not. To that person, what else would I know about him? I didn't remember that about him. Really? Honestly. Well, I think Honestly. that was that was you like you you know, I think you can erase things better. Like, if you want to forget about something, you just will. He he, he was a trauma. Exactly. It's <laughs> no question. So we just have different coping mechanisms. Fucking asshole. For me, I can um, archive everything. You remember forever. Yeah. Got to be careful what you say to 99, everybody. It is true. <laughs> Got to be careful. Whip that shit out as ter- years as, from as now. As Taylor Swift said. What? I bury hatchets, but I keep maps of where I put them. Right. So it's like, I will right. forgive, but I won't forget. Oh, uh, something else we were talking about off mic. Taylor Swift, so racist. That's not true. Okay, we weren't talking about that. People did accuse her of that when one of her music videos. And had a fake Southern accent. Yeah, but she had to assimilate into Southern culture. She's just a fraud. She lived on a farm in <laughs> Pennsylvania. A Christmas tree farm. Stream it now. For real? On Spotify. Yeah, there's a song called Christmas Tree Farm. Oh, how did I not know? Is it better than that? My singing? Uh, I mean, naturally, but it's offensive still. It's like, he can't even sing. What? What? Sing. I'm I'm not your trained monkey. Sing for me, Paolo. (laughs) That's a joke for the millennials out there. Okay. Let's get into feedback from the education episode, shall we? Okay. You started this. For the third and final installment, finally, of the education series that we did. First one's from Dan H. Fantastic work on the education series. I wanted to zero in on one small aspect of your narrative and ask a question about tactics. Support in the U.S. in general is often linked to merit-based performance. That is true. While in most cases, the better policy decision is to direct support to those who need it the most, I find it hard to dismantle the logic of supporting people slash organizations that are performing well in an effort to keep them performing well or even better. The logic goes, of course, we want to invest in the best performing people and organizations, right? Do you have a general approach to countering this argument or is it more of a case by case situation where you need to demonstrate why supporting the best actually doesn't serve the goal of lifting all boats? I think this is a really great pointed question because it does surface something about, first of all, our culture, but then also the fact that we tend to treat everything as a business. So on a cultural basis, 
we do want to support people that are great. Like you're not going to invest the same amount of time, effort, and energy into a young athlete that shows no athletic tendencies to, you know, perform if the goal is to win a championship, you know, if there's a finish line and a medal and all that kind of stuff. There are people with a different, you know, level of talent and proficiency, maybe at uh, music or what have you. And so we have this idea that, you know, fostering the people with the with the most natural talent regardless of their economic circumstances, is a really good investment because it surfaces them to the top of their potential and everybody else should get, you know, a fair to middling, you know, response to whatever they do. So I think that's a cultural thing about us. And in the work environment, yeah, I mean, it, it, the hardest workers, the ones with the most talent, the ones that offer the most to an organization, those, those are the people that do succeed and get ahead. And that is very much a part of the cultural milieu of business anywhere in the world. That's not just a here thing. When you marry up the cultural aspects of the United States, you know, promoting winners and being very competitive in a social construct, and then with the mentality that we treat everything like a business, I think it's natural to then make the logical assumption that we should do the same in education. And that's where I I land, Dan, on this, on, on bringing everybody back to the original idea behind public services, that public services aren't meant to be a competition. Is it okay to have advanced placement classes or curriculum that does surface people out and gives them different opportunities to maybe gain proficiency in a language or pursue something that uh, that's different in the sciences. I think that's okay. Like, I really do. Like, I don't think everybody should just be taught to the lowest common denominator. So within those structures, I think it's okay to test kids with a higher acumen at something to the limits of their potential in that particular discipline. But when you're talking on balance about a system and a structure, we want to make sure to always disassemble the argument that everything should be run in a competitive spirit with winners and losers and and that everything is a business with the same type of metrics. Because again, sewer and stormwater management, the military, healthcare, like these are all endeavors that privatization represents a danger to because it means that there will necessarily be losers in the system. So I always default in these arguments to saying, you know, it doesn't mean that you you don't support exceptional people within a system and let them reach their potential. But the goal here is to in education specifically is to have an educated mass of people because that helps create a functioning society because if we just provide if we just have a merit-based performance-based with the children and then also with the teachers which is another part of what dan is talking about here don't we just want to always reward the best students and the best schools and the best you know insert whatever the metric is here that is the natural proclivity we have but we have to begin i think to dismantle these arguments earlier in the process to level set on the fact that these are social benefit enterprises where everybody should have the equal amount of funding and then additional resources can be added to the mix once you've achieved a certain level in order to help people reach their potential. So anyway, it's a great question because it's such a it's such a defining American characteristic to be the best and to be the best at everything. And we should only reward the people that are the best at everything. And, you know, winners win and losers lose. And that's what it is. You see it everywhere. You see it in Hollywood. You see, I mean, it's just, it's something that's constantly reinforced in our society. 
which is not to say that everybody gets a fucking trophy. They're two different things. Like this is not the participation trophy way of looking at things. It means, no, I want everybody to be fucking educated. Anyway, so good stuff. And next up is Randy L. Yeah, so Randy said, some 40 years ago, Finland embarked on what was then seen as a response to dismal long-term economic forecasts, excellence in education. It worked better than anyone thought possible and left breadcrumbs in its history that the U.S. could follow. Knowledge-based, teacher-driven systems work. Opponents and think tanks eagerly point to recent declines from the top ranking that Finland enjoyed in the early 2000s, but the declines are modest compared to the headway made when the country switched from traditional education, which was and here is truly failing our kids. So... You know, it's hard to comment on that because I have no perspective. You're not finished? Not finished. Are you finished? I am finished. But it seems super logical to me, and that's really interesting. And I love when people bring these things up because uh, it gives us – it reminds us that we're not alone in the world (laughs) and that other people have approaches that work. So uh, thanks for sending that in, Randy. So this this next one – this next one kind of set me back, uh, set me on my ass a little bit in in the very best way possible – It's from BS, and it's a wonderful, wonderful email. I'm currently listening to part three on public education and loving it with one small quibble. Just for context on fuckers, this small quibble, it's not small. It's really big, and it's something that I did not consider, and I absolutely overlooked. And I cannot, I I can't express how grateful I am that BS sent this in. Here you go. I spent 15 years teaching at a brick-and-mortar school before I could not. My mental and physical health suffered, and I was having to pay for my own classroom supplies and sometimes decide between my own food and food for my animals. They always went out, by the way. When I quit, I was done with teaching and thought I'd lost a part of my soul and purpose for getting up in the morning. Through a series of fortunate events, I ended up up teaching at Stride K-12. So Stride is a for-profit company that uh, does virtual schooling, by the way, right? So... Here's the meat of what BS sent in. Dozens of my students each year confide in us that they were terribly bullied by classmates, and in some cases, school staff. I've got students who have been bullied for skin color, sexual orientation, religion, gender identity, surviving sexual assaults, older siblings who were problem kids, etc. Many come from small districts where there is no other school to attend. Parents choose us because their child was in danger of not surviving another year. Many are in outpatient treatment, and I've had a handful of inpatient systems where they're allowed to attend online classes during specified hours under supervision. We have kids who are sick or immunocompromised, students who are homebound after major surgeries, students who have emotional issues that don't allow them to function in traditional school settings. We have young mothers, teenagers taking care of infirmed family members, or who have to work to pay the bills and need the flexibility. Virtual school is an option for so many students who don't have other options. It does not work for everyone, and there are a whole different set of issues in a virtual environment, but it is a valuable option, and so much better than homeschooling. Later in the email, BS says, All of that being said, I want to burn the whole fucked education system to the ground and rebuild it into something that works better for the modern world and modern students. Tradition and how we've always done it is not cutting it anymore. P.S., and this is B.S. answering a question that we posed in Post Show Musings, magnet schools are schools that specialize in specific career paths generally. In addition to traditional classwork, they also train law enforcement, get trained in the medical field, do acting, musical classes, etc. Some charter schools are also magnet schools. Magnet equals specialized school. 
Now, interestingly, both Charter and Magnet are often allowed to set their own standards for entry, meaning they can usually weed out students that would be an additional burden on the system. So students who need additional accommodations often don't make the cut, even if they do. So thank you for kind of scratching that itch and, and filling us in on magnet schools and, and what the differences are. But I want to go back to the bulk of the statement here regarding virtual schools, because like I said, I didn't see it, I didn't read it, didn't come across it in the research. And I think this sort of struck me with um, as, as kind of a reminder when even I try to do the best I can to research something fully and then come out with a kind of universal declaration about something being bad or something being good. Speaking in absolutes in any way is is folly. And I have to be careful about that. I, I, I And it's it's something that I rely on 99 to catch me in the moment. I rely on oh, Manny. So you're blaming me. No, that sounded, <laughs> yeah, that may sound like blaming me. No, and, you know, she has prevented me from stepping on my own foot a hundred different times. Manny does the same thing, you know, my my family or just by being curious and asking the right questions or not just, you know, choosing to look at the headlines or regurgitate a piece, but actually think critically about it. And even still, there are going to be times when somebody comes up with something to say, hey, buddy, by the way. So uh, two things I appreciate about this. Number one is I didn't know, didn't appreciate it, and I need to make space for it and room for it. And so I'm glad that this is now part of the record. Thank you for that BS. The other is just like, I mean, 99.9% of the unfuckers, the way that they speak with us, to us, about us, the way that BS introduces the email, I'm loving it with one small quibble. Well, that one small quibble, when you're talking about, hey, by the way, I do this thing that you said was bad and we're literally saving people's lives, that could have come out a whole different way. BS could have come at me and been like, motherfucker. You've basically laid my entire reason for being in career to waste by making absolute judgments on something. So the fact that BS approached this in such a a loving and warm way is just another testament to the, the listening audience that that we've cultivated and and how and how wonderful you all are. So thank you. Yeah, and I think what they posit probably illustrates the lack of representation of maybe neurotypical or uh, neurodivergent rather students, people with disabilities, like they said, people, you know, who might be immunocompromised. So it's because the picture of a student is painted as like the nuclear family, the mom, the dad going to school with their lunchbox. And that's mm -hmm. not the case for everybody. I mean, if we just look at like food insecurity statistics in schools, you, that unravels really quickly. But this is like a whole new avenue that probably needs to be explored with Even with, with bullying, it never even occurred to me to think like, Everybody's like, oh, we need anti-bullying program. I mean, this is not that we want to just remove people from problems in society and not attack you know, and not attack the problem at the root of like these people shouldn't be bullying. But I mean, if you feel like your life is in danger, being able to be removed from a situation, it's a really powerful thing. Yeah. I mean, it can change a child's life. Kids can get away with it. And it's it, based on who's willing to back them up. If the teacher is willing to intervene, willing to fill out the fucking paperwork about it and go to the principal and all that shit. And if that person even cares, uh, how many people probably around your age will say bullying is good for kids? Oh, tons. 
It's what brings discipline and makes them be strong. It's how we learn to get by in the world. Exactly. And it's like develop a thick skin. It's okay to have disagreements, but when it turns a corner, I mean, yeah, so it's super interesting. Yeah, that was great stuff. So then we heard from William N. who said, Hey oh, you and FTR gang, it's the unfucker trucker and I just wanted to bring something up in the coattails of the public education series. As admittedly, you may not know, I'm openly non-binary. I did not know that, William, and I apologize. I think I might have used the wrong pronouns for you in a past episode, so thank you for correcting me. So they go on to say, I feel that I'm not alone when I say it's been a demoralizing year for anti-trans and anti-LGBTQ plus legislation. I would love to see how y'all approach an unfucking of that legislation. Would love to. As a matter of fact, I had it in my mind that this year we would get to the quote-unquote don't say gay bill and try to really look at that from all sides. But since that time, there's been so much copycat legislation going on around the country at the state level, and I know that there are going to be even more issues taken up at the Supreme Court level looking at precedent and prior legislation that's going to be struck down or pieces of it that's going to be struck down in a weird way that to me right now, William, the whole thing The whole question from a legislative perspective is extremely confusing to me. So that's my full disclosure to tell you that when I did try to take up just I was going uh, first with the I don't actually know that I can't remember the name of the actual legislation that they refer to as the don't say gay bill in Florida. But I was looking at the rationale that DeSantis and others were using to kind of like push this through the conservative media to make it feel like it was a a really good idea and actually protecting kids. And then I I got a little bit into the weeds and then realized that I don't have nearly enough contextual history to see which precedent they're breaking from, which protections they're actually trying to, uh, to take away, which future protections they're trying to take away, because a lot of what they're doing is not just offensive, it's defensive. They're trying to protect against things that are coming by creating new precedent. And when it comes into the legal realm, It takes me a lot longer to wrap my head around it. So I think what you're proposing here is a really good idea. And I would like to beg your indulgence for more time on it so I can really try to understand the legal maneuverings. And and here's something that completely reinforced this, by the way, when I was doing the education series. In part two of the education series, I read a lot of case material. Uh, particularly leading up to Brown v. Uh, Brown v. Board of Education and the Rodriguez case, and reading those decisions and reading the opinions by the majority and the dissenting justices makes you realize how out of step I am with constitutional law. There's logic, fact, reasoning, and then there's then there's our legal system, and they're not the same. They're not the same. So as a, as a journalist and a writer, I tend to approach things from like, I'm going to get from A to Z by covering every letter in between, and I'm not going to skip around. Whereas that just doesn't feel like the law profession. So for me, it's a challenge. It's an uphill battle, and I will definitely get to it because I think it's super important. I think you've struck actually at the core of how I need to be approaching it. So thank you for that. And hey, keep on trucking. Now, if we head over to the social medias before we close out here, Dan G made us, I assume we reposted this somewhere, right? I have not yet. You have not yet? This is super fucking cool. Dan G did a little thing 
Uh, it's called Bring It Home Max, and it's something that he made for Manny Faces Max in 99 when it's time for Max to slam it at the end. So we'll post it on our socials so everybody can see it, but it's 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 pretty fucking cool. It's a graphic, and it's a graphic of Manny kind of standing over the city. I dig it. And Brian W. was responding to our rerun of Noam Chomsky Day, saying, Nomination for public intellectual in accordance with the request stated during Noam Chomsky episode, I humbly submit for your consideration, Stephen J. Gould. His utter takedown of racism, the mismeasure of man, had a non-trivial impact, but not, in my view, the impact it truly deserved. In more recent years, before his passing, he added a refutation to the odious work The Bell Curve by Charles Murray, no doubt odious, along with other similar goblins and orcs. As a physics graduate and someone who has been applying that to environmental problems, I can say that no one should immediately assume that any phenomenon in nature must automatically have any casual reason to conform to the arbitrary bell curve function. But that is a digression. I hope you will give Stephen J. Gould a moment of reflection. So I did a little homework on on Gould when this came in. Unfortunately, he has passed, but he really sounds like somebody I would have loved to hang out with. He is known for something called the theory of punctuated equilibrium. Essentially, he w- he took issue with Darwin's theory of evolution, saying that it was not continually gradual, that there would be long moments, could be decades, centuries, eons, whatever it is, generations, of no change and then one sudden abrupt change in a species, which is pretty groundbreaking, super interesting. And I guess on a personal level, he was kind of a dick, like very full of himself. Uh, he was you know, extremely arrogant and all that kind of stuff, but was also a fascinating, uh, super fun person to be with, just an incredibly cool person. But what he contributed to... Uh, his field is uh, apparently just absolutely tremendous. Not somebody I knew anything about. I appreciate the uh, going down that rabbit hole, Brian, and, the, and that you sent that in. So duly noted. <laughs> so Bobby McDee wrote a Christmas story <laughs> called A Christmas North Carolina. Get it? It's very long. So I, I think it would be a whole episode of us reading it. But you told me that Bobby posted it in the Facebook group, correct? He did. He did. So you can go, if you go to uh, Unfuckers at All on Facebook, the one that's curated by and then you'll be able to see it there. Yeah. There are three, in my mind, literal LOL moments in it. One has to do with the butt. Another has to do with the carrot. And the third one has to do with science. And all three made me... LOL. And I I obviously appreciated this (laughs) very much. (laughs) And then um, we had two reviews since I asked so nicely. You want to read the first one? Okay. Just fine. Said, I have so many thoughts about all the things. Not sure I want to thumb type all of it, but right now or organize my thoughts into something coherent. I definitely feel like I come away from every episode smarter. And with an elevated blood pressure, thank you for what you do. Thank you for the opportunity to buy delicious coffee from Native Roasters. Everyone in my family got a bag last year for the holidays. I'm going to have to repeat this year. That's fucking awesome. Thank you, Just Fine. And then Sloan God said, we needed this podcast in 2012. I always wanted a deep diving, well-sourced resource for history of bad politics. Here we are. Here we are indeed. Thank you, Sloan God. Thank you, Just Fine. We appreciate you. There are no new memberships to talk about this week, yeah, sadly. fuck all of you. <laughs> that worked uh, last time, like you said. Oh, that's right. I said, fuck off. Well, I guess we're just going to have to shut down the show. Forever.
Bye forever, everybody. Now we'll keep it going, but it sure does help when you take out those memberships. But yeah, give me money. At the same time, I understand the need to, you know, pack away your nuts for the winter. It is the end of the year. I have no great expectations for that. I didn't say tuck away your nuts. I said pack away your nuts, store your nuts like a squirrel. Ninety nine. What the fuck are you thinking, man? Dirty, dirty. I don't know why we have to bring squirrels into this. So maybe in the new year. Yeah, make it your That'd New Year's nice resolution to, to give support us money this show. every yeah, month. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I dig it. I dig it. Speaking of that, at some point, are there, I think I saw some stuff that are going out to our over-caffeinated members uh, in the new year, right? Uh, before it, hopefully, yeah. There's uh, the last batch of over-caffeinated members. Uh, their new perk has arrived. We switched it from mm. T-shirt. And uh, yeah, the, the the people in question will be receiving it soon. I'll keep Super it. Super adorable. I'll keep the surprise alive. Love it. Yeah. Until next gonna, time. I thought you were going to ask me if I had any New Year's resolutions. And I was like, please don't. Oh, we'll get there. No, next, I don't next believe episode. in them. Okay. The end. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> <laughs>